You can always slap it. What we can do is when Thomas leaves, we can record a quick segue and that bonus episode that we did. Yeah. We can always yeah, tack yeah, this yeah. onto the end of that or at the beginning or yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this is, of course, going to be in the episode, All too. of this. All of this. It's really a uh, Just three guys on their phones looking, getting their lists looking together. Looking at their phones. <laughs> I cannot find the word uh, I, can't find, I can't find it. Y'all gotta get y'all gotta get you gotta get organized quick. It's my organized. Jack Nicholson in the departed bad. Fellas This is a podcast. Well you're looking down <laughs> the barrel of a gun. Has anyone ever fucked a podcast, yes. Jack? I'm gonna fuck it. Wanna, <laughs> hey, wanna hear my impression of Jack Nicholson in the Saras Point? Yes. Yeah. Hey. I just wanna take Another look at you. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There it is. I, yeah, that's good. Another look at you. It's hard. It's weird. I'm looking. Why wasn't Jack Nicholson ever in a Star Is Born? Yeah. Seems like a real missed opportunity. It's weird that I'm looking for the list, even though it's going to be Joker every single. Um, <laughs> I has, what are we, what's happening? Is it? Are we doing another podcast? <laughs> No, I think this. I don't think so. Uh, okay. I'm just. I'm just recording. All right. What, this, this what was thing. the premise? What was the prompt? Ten of a decade. Of or, or, albums. I'm gonna do movies because I don't have. I'm gonna albums. do albums. You're gonna do albums. I'm gonna do albums. So you want to do that while Noah finds his? Let's just do a little. Yeah. Literally just read them. Yeah, just read them. We can talk about okay. something that comes up. Um, the number one album of the decade is uh, for me a Vaporwave album. <laughs> it is uh, Chuck Person's Echo Jams Volume One. Okay. Uh, I wa- wa- this is more of a personal connection for me though because this was the first album. Yes, as I was getting on RachelMusic.com, where it was like. Uh, before a thousand gags, it was like, oh, like I've never heard anything like this before. So it was yeah. just kind of like the the face that launched a thousand ships as far as like my interest in like music, online music communities and like that kind of thing goes because it was just like I found it just by browsing Rim and I listened to it and I was like, oh, this is like, I yeah, it just like it reached me and I was like, how do I find more of this? And so sure. kind of in general, yeah, that yeah. led to my first internet obsession niche which was vaporwave i was a big vaporwave guy but that was just kind of like the first one that was so indicative of kind of falling down the rabbit hole of like oh this is something that only could have happened surfing the web at you know odd hours of the evening Uh, but looking back at it it is certainly the most mature vaporwave album because it was kind of before floral shop which was like more of the meme yeah yeah um Wave because uh, Chuck Person, who also his main moniker is Only a Tricks Point Never. Um, is, oh, is that, is oh, a big, that true? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, this is an alias, but um, he originally meant it as kind of this like cautionary tale, a little bit about like nostalgia and kind of how that factors into like cultural repositories because it is kind of this like haunting. Uh, almost downtrodden, like the, by zeroing in on loops of like just radio songs you heard like as a child and like just looping them into infinity and stretching and warming them. It is this kind of like weird, like almost there's almost something sinister about like a (laughs) lot of it. And I just thought it was very interesting. Um, the a three, that's the name of the, of the track. A three, uh, has a loop of Jojo's too little, too late that to this day I can cry to. Uh, it's very sad. (laughs) That is beautiful. Yeah. It is. It is interesting. It's just a very interesting, it's like by literally making something out of nothing. It's kind of, it's like literally seconds of songs. Like they only use the do, 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 do of, of Toto's Africa. Like they make that like a whole song of like, you know, all the vaporwave vocals. You know, it's a vodka. 
provocative. Um, all right. I can't find this fucking Yeah, list. yeah. So you're just going to go off the fly? I'm just going to name movies I like. For yeah. Me. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, well, I can keep going. Yeah, um, you want to give us just, you can go ahead and go, you can go a little in depth with like the top five. Sure. And then with the six through ten, you want to just like speak on them briefly? Sure. Okay. Um, number two for me is Kanye West, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Yes, Kanye, blah, 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 but, blah. I mean, that <laughs> album. <laughs> yeah, but that album. album is truly kind of the maximal... Um, just of that, especially of the, of the aughts era of like swag rap, bling rap, et cetera, of like, or clout rap, I guess you could almost call it where it's like, how much wealth and power can I accumulate? Literally, there is not a more powerful man than Kanye West on My Beautiful yeah, Dark Days yeah, yeah. Cause it's just a totally blown out. Like it was, I believe it's like the eighth most expensive album ever made. It's just, it totally about hu- his hubris and like is just just this braggadocio at the top, like literally like a man who is God, even though he would more say that on Jesus to follow it. Yeah. This is like kind of his last, almost really his last mainstream effort in a lot of regards. Yeah. Where yeah, it kind yeah. of like, it is a definitive pop rap album, but it's just so overblown. And it's like even the coldest flex almost of all history is having 16 people, many of whom are famous, just do indiscriminate background vocals on all of the lights. Like yeah. own, literally only Kanye West could have Drake just be an indis, like just add texture to like a huge like wall of yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, background vocals. I think that that's is very interesting. And also it's just kind of, and he would keep ex- obviously he kind of went downhill after that in terms of his mental health and all that but it's like it is also sort of exploring this dark side of fame where it's like sure. just this the nothingness that happens when you yeah are just literally a rich and powerful celebrity yeah. it's like yeah. you know love means nothing sex means nothing Money drugs means nothing. nothing like it's just like kind of the that the dichotomy between you know, having anything you want, and then you know, the tale is all the time. This is around the time he did it. We were once a fairy tale with that short film. Yes, it was, yes, right? yeah. I believe yeah. it was the year. It might have been the year after the same year, which very weird kind of <laughs> contrast. Well, there. based on what you're talking about, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. You know, he's it's this basically experimental film where he's fucking walking through a club, and then he, you know, spoiler alert, this little fucking ant like demon like yeah. pops out of him, and he's like in the bathroom just by himself facing this little demon, and it's an interesting companion piece to My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Yeah, I, I actually I've been meaning to see it. I'm I'm looking forward to watching it finally. Um, third is David Bowie's Black Star. This is just an album that just devastates me every time I listen to it. I don't even know if I have much, like I mean it's been so covered. I don't have much unique to say, but it's right, just like right. for a final for an album where you die days after releasing it, it's just so. Power. It's power. I know. It's we use it ironically. This is a powerful album. Just kind of. It's literally a man. You know, at the end of his life and career, just like looking like his final statement to the world is yep. like it's just it's it, it has a uh, it has an aura and a presence that I felt kind of unmatched. And I mean, it's not an easy album to listen to by any means. Like this is one where you you literally I know again like it is best experience like alone either on good headphones or good sounds. I'm just kind of like sitting and like just appreciating what Dave like the biggest one of the biggest pop stars the world will ever know just kind of what his last words and thoughts and ideas were just kind of like knowing to know you're dying and know you're making your last album is just such or last piece of art in any case is such a yeah uh, uh, it's kind of mind bending yeah it's just my I don't know how you do it I mean I guess I'll have to 
I'm not an artist, I wouldn't say, but like I will, all of us will have a last thing yep, we yeah. do. And it's just like, it's crazy to. Even in small capacities. Yeah. You know? yeah. Like this is our last episode of yeah, that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. 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 This the... is our Black Star. This is the David Bowie Black Star. <laughs> oh, God. I don't want to. I, 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 I don't want to. 100% agree. agree. I don't want to throw that into the universe. <laughs> no, I don't want any of us to. <laughs> but it's also just a very intricate album. I mean, there's a lot of like kind of interesting jazz elements on there. There's yeah. kind of like this dark orchestration, um, some just really haunting, evocative lyricism and imagery it's just it's a it's a powerful album and one that I don't and it's but it's also one of those things where like I don't know if like I enjoy it but it's like it's but very it's good yeah. <laughs> you know what I yeah, mean yeah totally, yeah totally um, number four the fourth one this is a totally personal pick uh, it's an album that is it's it's good indie pop, but many people just are like, yes, this is good indie pop, but Los Campesinos is, even though if 100 Gags is my favorite band in 2019, this is still my favorite band of all time. Uh, they're the band that's been with me since uh, high school. Sure. And the album's called Hello Sadness, which is very on the nose. <laughs> hey, there um, we go. Also, one of my favorite album covers of all time, just as a side note, I think it's one of the album covers that perfectly uh, distills what the songs sound like and the lyrics are about. But in any case, uh, this I've just grown up with this band, and this album in particular is just one that I think for like, um, almost a year of my life I just listened to every day um, it's just this it's just a very and it was during it's been an interesting album to kind of like grow as like just you experience life because it's like um, it's like an album that I listened to when I was like falling in love it's an album I listened to when you know during heartbreak it's just like it's just it's been with me through so many phases of my life that I just I there's no way to say other than it's one of my favorite albums of the decade because sure. I've like I've experienced so much emotion and like I discovered it when I was 16 and I still listen to it at 25. It's like those are obviously huge years of your life. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just it's been with me through thick and thin. Um, and I've seen them uh, three, four times now. And they're a band I also flew out of town to see. I've met the lead singer Gareth. Um, yeah, there's just a band that that's always going to be my favorite band, and it's my favorite album by them. I mean, yeah, I mean, there there's there's certain art that you know you go to it at certain times of your life, and it means completely different things than the last time you saw it. Yeah, you know, 100. percent For one, me, one of those movies is Magnolia. Yeah, know? like yeah. that movie is epic and you know a mosaic, and I don't think it's probably pod worthy because of what we do on this podcast. But like, that's a movie that every single time I watch it, I get something new about. And you can say that it's pretentious. You can say that it's overly long. You can say pretty much whatever you want about the movie because it's probably true. Mm-hmm. But there's just something so goddamn powerful that I think every single time you go back, I think yeah, it's a three hour movie. So you're not going to put that on probably like you know nightly or even monthly or whatever. So when you do go back to it, it's like oh it's time. Yeah, you know? and yeah there's just certain yeah. arts that you know when you go back, you know you go it's time, and then you dive back in. Yeah, yeah. And it seems like from my general impression, uh, you fellas are more kind of like emotion identified with movies than music necessarily. Sure. But like this is now where like every song has like a specific memory that like sure. it, it brings about. So that. it's just kind of yeah, that. it's just it's yeah, it's it's probably I mean. Yeah, I don't know. I love this album. Love this band. Yeah, that's Los yeah. Camasinos, Hell of Sadness. Number five. Uh, Deaf Heaven's Sunbather. Hell yeah, uh, baby! Yes. I brought this up in a, most, in a recent episode. Uh, I love Deaf Heaven. I love yeah. this album. Another great co- title. Another. I'm sorry, cover. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Very, very... Uh, memorable and striking cover this is another one that was like kind of my first days on rate your music i discovered and it's just another one of those where like and like yes like pitchfork did a write-up but this felt like it kind of did have that internet energy behind it when it was yeah. coming out and so the big thing with this is that obviously it's a very reductive statement and i'm a fan of metal now but this was like the first metal album i liked yeah. which in and of itself is like this is the one where i texted everyone i knew like hey this is like 
even like because none of my friends were into that metal at the time. I was like, this is the one. This yeah, is the one yeah, that is yeah. that you can get with because it yeah. is very and obviously got a lot of vitriol because metal is probably the worst community out of anything. <laughs> oh yeah, honestly, what, what one, a, of the wor- what a, one of the yeah, worst. One of the worst communities. Besides from the, the general fandom stuff, you got, you know, literal Nazis. Yeah, a lot of Nazis. Uh, definitely not a Nazi, but um, they were, you know, they, uh, the thing at the time, they were attractive looking. They looked like Abercrombie models. It was like and lyrics. Like very, like, slow core and, like, uh, uh, slow core kind of inspired, too. Yeah, a lot of, they, were, they had an affiliation with the band Whirr, which is more, yeah. like, shoegazy. But, shoegazy, um, that's what I mean. Um, but, like, and they incorporated a lot of, like, melodies like there's genuinely beautiful melodies like the build at the end of the pecan trees i still cry to that it's like it's one of the most powerful passages of music i've ever heard um and the lyrics are more about like existential malaise instead of like satan and like you know murder and stuff like that (laughs) yeah i'm dying what i'm dying yeah I'm sorry, I don't understand. Is it, is it blissful? Oh, 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 oh the, the, the vocal. Yes, 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 yes. At yes. the end of uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry that I missed. I, I absolutely wished. You thought on I that. was saying. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. No, no. Chef, you it's like a, a dream. Sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like to dream. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, very existential. Great album to listen to in college. You're just having like oh, existential. Great college, great college album. Yeah. Uh, but also, in kind of the larger thing, was that this was an album that showed me that like there is beauty in any genre and which is kind of what inspired me to like explore music as heavily as I did because right. like I used to think you know metal's ugly it's like literally just loud noises yeah and, and I mean a yeah. lot of it is still that and I still like albums that make no pretension about being pretty like they are just <laughs> intense yeah. and heavy but yeah it opened up a genre and a p- appreciation for me and so I always uh, uh identify with Deaf Heaven's Sunbather for that and I also think it was kind of a, an important document and kind of like yeah, kind of like saying like a fuck you to that fan base in some regards yes. and, open, and opening it up. And I think that, you know, because it's obviously such a mask genre and like this was kind of like, no, like anyone, anyone can make metal and anyone right. can listen to metal. Bit of a Rick and Morty band. Uh, no, chef. I'm going to, this will be like at the part I'd be like, no, but I, I respect, I respect it. Bit of a silly Mr. Meeseeks. <laughs> oh, Mr. Poopy Butthole. That's the only <laughs> reference I know. Um, the show, I'm not going to. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number six. Don't peek. Don't peek. Don't okay, peek. I won't peek. Uh, death, uh, death grips the money store. Yeah, yeah you got it. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not going to talk about Death Grips, so we'll move on. We'll move on. I do also have another Kanye album in my top ten, Yeezus, because this was, I yeah. feel... Two Kanye's Two Kanye's in the top wow. ten. The flip from making, like, uh, this hugely successful album, very expensive to make, obviously made a shit ton of money, to something so alienating not and just fundamentally, like... put together in, like, six weeks, It is an right? ugly album. No, it was apparently... It was a very long album, and then Rick Rubin was like, "What if we took away all of the instruments and made this forty minutes?" Yeah, and, and Connie was like, "Yes, chef, thank you, chef." It was, tastes great. Yeah, it tastes great. But it's still, it's just an, it's an ugly album, and at the time, it was so shocking, especially coming from, um, you know, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy. And I despised this album when I first heard it, and it took me like a year until it was starting to, until I got it. But now I listen. It's one. It's, it is actually my pick for my favorite Kanye album, even if I would put My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy ahead of it in terms of, like, influence and whatnot, yeah. I would say this is, if so, if you put a gun to my head and say, <laughs> and please, I hope no one ever asks you what your favorite Kanye album is, because that's horribly boring, yeah, yeah. but I would say, Yeezus Chef, and then they would shoot me. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks, I hate that whole yeah, idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, I might be with you on that, on that one, just because it was, like, I think I... 
it, this is like my Kanye album. Like I just like finally was like, all right, I like Kanye West, and then this album came out. And I'm like, yeah, this is it. Yeah, there's one. Number eight's Kendrick Lamar to Pimp a Butterfly. Oh, yeah. This, yes, Chef. This is, yeah, just one of those albums where the first time I heard it, I was just like, wow. Yeah, like I was just like, that is art. Like that is yeah. literally a work of art. Um, this is another one where it's not necessarily like fun to listen to, but like I return to it, you know, a few times a year. It's just like all the genres and the history of the music that he's dealing with. And it's like, it's just a lot of like poetic, you know, obviously he, in terms of writing lyrics, but also just like a lot of concepts and themes that are very like, powerful and like you know yeah, yeah. deep and layered and yeah i just think it's a it's one of the crowning achievements of the of the decade there's some songs on that album where if i'm driving and i reach my destination i will not go into my destination until the, song yeah that yeah there. it's that powerful yeah um and the weirdest moment of my life was i was in a shopping mall in kyoto japan and i heard king kunta and I said, this is weird. <laughs> I don't know who I don't know who was responsible for this, but I don't know. <laughs> that's a little something something for the fans. <laughs> but that's on the other podcast. Yeah. We talk about studying abroad. Yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, ninth is a thousand gex. Um, okay. <laughs> yeah, we, yep. we've talked about that. <laughs> we have talked we've about, about that. that uh, and rounding it out with Gas's Narcopop. This is probably the weirdest uh, inclusion just because it is an album that like is another one where people are just like it's good, um, but it's just kind of unknown. This is like very ambient techno. Uh, it is from this. The Gas has been a an artist for working, I think, almost since the '90s. But this is just one of those albums where, like, um, I mean, I had appreciated uh, ambient music and like techno music at the time. But this is one where it was like, oh, this can like be, like, it's it's like very. How do I describe it? It's like it's an ambient. It is an ambient bass record, so it is like kind of these like very like contemplative like sure. like more like low key like soundscapes almost in a way. But like yeah. there's so much. It was like just an album that's unlocked this idea of like what you identify with a more minimal album is just very interesting. But I just found myself just totally captivated and lost in just kind of these like swatches of like color and emotion. It's like very esoteric like connections it makes in terms of like what it makes you experience and like feel it's like one of those albums you can only talk about is describing like physical sensations I listening to like it that. kind of yeah. like yeah like and uh, so say the name one more time uh, it's called narco pop by the artist gas okay gotcha. um but yeah this is just uh, an album that i get lost in every time i listen to it and i just it's one of those ones where i there's something new to experience whether it's like sure. a certain you know you know pa- synth palette or just like a certain rhythm or a way it shifts is just kind of like unlocks new you know, twists and folds. And I think it's a really, an excellent album and a, another work of art that the stick it gave us. All right. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. All I'm right. Back. We're, We're back. Bitch. Back. <laughs> bitch. All right. We got our waters. I had a handful of grapes. You had a handful of grapes? I had a handful of grapes. Just a nice little treat. And now we are back in this monster episode of It's on the List to talk about our favorite movies of the decade. And uh, you have a ranked list. I did not uh, do that with mine. I just kind of chose 10 movies, one for more or less each year to highlight, to talk about. Um, so why don't you start with your list, actually? Okay. Um, and uh, just just go through and talk about your favorite movies. Sure. Well, uh, I'm going to start. I'm going to break the fucking rules uh, by starting off on this one, <laughs> because the first thing I want to talk about is actually something we've talked about on the show before, but uh-huh. it's not a feature film. It's the short film Yearbook by Bernardo yeah. Brito. Oh, that's, yeah. 
Oh yeah, brother. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, that is my favorite uh, short film of this last decade that I've seen. I don't watch a ton of short films, but of the films, short films I have seen, it is definitely my favorite. Uh, in five short minutes, it basically allows you to examine the entirety of human history yep. <laughs> uh, as well as makes you ponder why certain people get remembered, who gets to do the remembering, uh, all that good stuff. It's very melancholic. It's very wistful, but it ultimately is a very sweet film because of how things are resolved with him and his wife. Uh, yeah, I love that you showed that to me. I love that we could get that on, on the show. Uh, I, I completely agree. I want to echo everything you said. I think that it is, um, just, just a really powerful little short that you could, just, why aren't you watching it right now, audience? Pause the podcast and watch, watch one of Noah's favorite movies of the decade. You can do it. <laughs> it's literally on, you can just search the yearbook by Bernardo Brito and it's, it's there, or you can go to our our episode uh, where we talk about this and uh, George Washington, right? Yes. We talk and about this, I George Washington. What was the album? I think it was, was that, linked. Was that right? uh, in the, we, in I think notes. I'm pretty sure I put that in the notes, yeah. Yeah. I think, what I don't remember what fucking album we talked about. Who fucking cares? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's fucking music. Music is in movies, okay? <laughs> Fuck that. All right. Um, Fuck, yeah. But uh, right. you want me to go on to my, my actual top ten? You want me to go all the way through? Yeah, just go all the way through. Because I'm looking okay. at it right now, and I think we will have two things to talk about, but I want uh, I want to hear... Yeah, just keep going. Just go. Just do it. Okay. Just do it. We're going to do it. So, uh, coming in at number 10, had to get a PTA in there. He is my favorite working director, one of my favorite directors of all time, if not my favorite director of all time. But I had to get a movie in there, and of the movies he's made uh, this last decade, my favorite was easily The Master. Um, I think it's... A deeply enigmatic film. I remember, do you remember at the very end of the decade when someone released a list of like overrated movies from the decade and The Master was on there and it just pissed the entire world off? Ugh, I, I don't think I saw that and I'm really glad I didn't because I just do not have the energy to be mad about somebody's wrong opinion. <laughs> but they like said like, they're like, it's deeply enigmatic on purpose and I just think that that's a bunch of horse cocky. Like it's just so rich and weird and the fact that we got to see Joaquin and Philip Seymour Hoffman do scenes together is yeah. unbelievable. It kind of feels like that movie with the benefit of hindsight was a hindsight was a bit of like a torch passing almost in a way of like kind of two um like Titans. Phil- yeah, two Titans of acting like before I want to say like before the master Joaquin was kind of just like a weird kind of satellite working actor and Philip Seymour Hoffman was like the guy, you know, yeah. and now uh, with his unfortunate passing, which makes me so sad uh, every single year. Celebrity, I think it's the only celebrity passing I've ever been truly sad about. I mean, I'm sad about that almost every single day that and Prince uh, him and Prince. Okay. Um, and, uh, but yeah, and now Joaquin's like uh, the 2010s were basically like the decade of Joaquin, you know, like there was uh, almost every time that he had a performance, it was something interesting and also kind of an event. Um, and I just think that maybe one of the greatest captured performances was Philip Seymour Hoffman as Lancaster Dodge. So you kind of can't get better than that. I think. Both of them. I mean, Freddie Quell is basically the better version of his later performance in Joker. I mean, in a lot <laughs> yeah, of ways. Yeah, um, uh, not, to, not in the same context, but like, you know, 
it's in a very similar sort of alienated man searching yeah. for something. Uh, it's fucking But there's like a center better. to that. There's a center to that alienated man. It's not just anarchy for the sake of anarchy, you know? No, he's, he's A, you know, mentally, you know, ill in some way, and as well as B, he's fucking shell-shocked from the war. Yeah, I mean, that's... If if you want to say the different if if I might say that T- Paul Thomas Anderson is a better filmmaker than Todd Phillips, I will go say off, that King. Go <laughs> off, go off. For one reason and one uh, for just one reason, it would be that Paul Thomas Anderson, like his hero Jonathan Demme and like Barry Jenkins, understand the kind of innate humanity of their characters and are interested in sharing that with you. Todd Phillips is just like, oh, what if a guy was uh, sad because of his mom in society, you know? Like, what if that was the real mental illness with society and and abuse? And you're just like, you got anything else, buddy? Like, you got an actual person there that we could relate to? No? <laughs> okay. Can't believe that we found a way to bring Joker up on our top tens of the decade. Ugh, um, yeah. <laughs> but, but I think that this, I've seen this movie by myself. I've seen it with, I watched it with the first time I watched it was watched it with my dad. And I think I talked about it on our inherent vice episode. Um, but I, we watched it and I was totally enamored by it, completely mystified. And he was like, damn, that movie sucks. <laughs> I was like, Oh, we are not watching a lot of movies together <laughs> from this point forward. Cause I like shit like that. Um, and I just remember seeing it by myself. Uh, when I went to New York this most recent time, uh, I actually took, a lift down to the Metrograph, New York, and Ooh. saw a screening of it there. Ended up leaving because I literally was falling asleep in the theater because I was just so jet lagged. But I was like, damn, this is truly an Have you ever seen it in 70? Uh, I think that they were either doing it in seven, they were doing it in 35 or 70 and I can't oh, remember okay. which. Cause I saw it in 70 for the first time, I think very shortly after we did inherent, our inherent vice episode. And I'd never seen it in 70 before. I think I, I saw it like just on like DVD Blu-ray. And then like when I saw it in theaters the first time, just like, I don't think it was even on film at the movie theater. I saw it. I think it was just like a DCP or something, but man, seeing that thing in 70, uh, like I'm watching it and then I just spent the last, like the next hour, uh, I left the theater, I left the Egyptian and I took, uh, a train into the Valley and then a bus to go to a party. And I just spent that entire commute just being so sad. <laughs> just, yeah. Ugh, love that movie. All right. What's it's, your number nine chef? It's, it's, it's one of his best. Uh, but I could talk about, I could make my own PTA list and just talk about that forever. But yeah, at number nine, uh, I was a little bit surprised this one made it onto the list, but, um, when I sort of really had to sit down and think about like what really resonated with me from this decade, this movie absolutely makes that cut. And that is Sean Baker's the Florida project. Oh boy. Yeah. At number nine, it is so amazing at showing the pains and gains. If I may use a Michael Bay phrase, pain and gain, (laughs) uh, the pains and gains of that sort of childhood. I knew a lot of, people uh in my life as a kid in apartment complexes like that and that was their existence was running around playing with the other kids not necessarily understanding that the world of adults is crazy especially in these low-come environments yeah mixed with the uh mixed with the sort of magical sensation of the fact that it's in Orlando, it's near Disney World, it's supposed to be the happiest place on earth. And the ending, no matter what you think of it, uh, it gets you talking. I personally believe the ending is extremely effective to the I, project. 
I love that ending. I uh, that ending made me cry when I saw it in theaters. I loved that movie, and I was just uh, so uh, I thought it was so beautiful. It is beautiful. beautiful. Uh, So many great little scenes, a lot of wisdom from Brooklyn Prince, who's, you know, Mooney. Uh, And much like our friends, the Safties, uh, Sean Baker does do a good job of taking people off the street or very uh, non-professional actors and turning them into very interesting on-screen characters, much like Mm -hmm. Bria Velarte and stuff like that. Um, So that was a very surprising addition to my number, uh, to my top 10 of the decade. But when I really thought about it, I was like, damn that probably did make the cut. And I saw that with two buddies uh, while I was still in school and kind of just like, like we keep saying it, it just rattles around in your head for longer than you even would think. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that to me is my number nine. Do you want to say anything before I move on to number eight? No, uh, just, just, uh, I, I think, uh, no, I don't have anything to add on to that. I, it's just an incredible movie and just an incredible uh, a feat of, I think, uh, empathetic filmmaking. Just, Without a uh, doubt. Really incredible. What's your number eight? Uh, I think the empathetic filmmaking is, you know, I think that's going to be a a trend throughout here. Uh, Yes, definitely. um, Number eight for me is an animated film from 2012. uh, Don Hertzfeld's It's Such a Beautiful Day. Mm. Have you seen that movie? I have not, actually. The only Hertzfeld I've seen is... um, Oh God! What was the short? Uh, World of Tomorrow. Yeah, that World one. Tomorrow. Yeah, World of Tomorrow. I've seen that, and I've seen uh, Rejected Tunes. Uh, sure. I have not seen a lot of Hertzfeld. That's kind of an embarrassing blind spot on my end. Well, if you have an hour and I think it's an hour and six minutes. Ooh. What is it? Yeah, an hour. Or excuse me, an hour and two minutes. Ooh, uh, even better. Check out it's such a beautiful day. Uh, I saw it right before I went off to college, and it just shook me up (laughs) like just like i felt like a fucking mixed cocktail like after that (laughs) film like i just felt blended and stirred and all sorts of things unbelievably visually stunning uh he just knows how to put things where they don't feel ham-fisted but you feel them regardless Mm -hmm. um in the same sort of way that i feel like charlie kaufman can especially like in things like sick to key new york and adaptation i think it's Mm -hmm. the same sort of sentiments and the same sort of things there things that are maybe a little bit tough to swallow but at the same time uh sort of liberating to hear yeah like that kind of thing uh so definitely definitely in my number eight uh at number seven uh the big short adam mckay's the big short interesting okay this was a a huge movie for me uh when i saw it because i had only known adam mckay as the guy who made stepbrothers and uh the other guys and anchorman and it proved to me that it is possible to do both it Mm -hmm. proved to me that it is possible to do uh stepbrothers and make a movie that is quote-unquote serious like the big short even though the big short is very playful and has a lot of humor to it and a lot of really interesting devices like fourth wall breaking and like actual celebrity endorsements about like certain not celebrity endorsements like celebrities explaining highfalutin topics yeah it's done in a very engaging very entertaining way that i really truly believe only adam mckay could have pulled off in that way i think that he it was the perfect person to helm that film and Everyone in the film is working at an absolutely staggering level. The script is fantastic. Hank Corwin is one of the greatest living editors that we have. Yeah. Just chopping oh that God. movie yeah. to shit or just chopping it to bits. And uh, it proved to me, you know, if, if there was someone's career that I could have, there wouldn't be one person's, but Adam McKay would be one of my main ingredients that I would throw into the, into the pot and say, like, if I could just, you know, 
I waved my magic wand. He's one of the main ingredients. So, and it made me angry when I left the theater. It really did open my eyes to that whole situation. And my family was affected by that whole bullshit. Like, you Mm -hmm. know, like I think everyone in some way or shape or form was affected by that bullshit. Yeah. And it made me angry leaving the theater and it made me like, actually like want to like fucking do something about it. Even though I knew, you know, what can one quote unquote person do, but that's a story for another day. But that's my number seven. I, uh, I really admire and I really like that movie. I think you're absolutely right about it being, uh, just incredibly watchable too. And incredibly entertaining. Like there's a, I saw, I didn't see it in theaters, but I watched it. I want, I was looking through just out of curiosity, like all the movies that I've logged in Letterboxd since I started logging around Labor Day weekend, I want to say 2015. And I've watched this movie or logged it at least four or five times, which is insane because it's a a movie about like the financial crisis, which is such a, and I think kudos to Adam McKay that he really um, uh, found a way to make a movie that feels like you're reading a really entertaining bit of nonfiction which is like you might not be 100%. getting all the information at the first time just because it's throwing so much information at you, but just the way that it is um, stuck together, um, the way that it's presented, it's just so uh, it's uh, so entertaining. And it, if if you're gonna try to show a movie, make a movie about the financial crisis, not from the perspective of the people that it affected, like you're like kind of ninety nine homes or something else like that. Um, but from the people that were kind of instrumental and kind of stood by while nothing happened, like, this is, like, kind of the way to do it. Like, he doesn't let any of these guys off the hook for their greed or the fact that they didn't try to... And some of them he tried to, you know, some of them tried to stop it before they could. But at the end of the day, they made a lot of money out of um, people losing their li- uh, their livelihoods and their homes and stuff. Uh, very, I think, a trickier movie than it gets a lot of... A trickier movie than it gets a lot of credit for. And uh, Vice is not very good. So I don't think that he should... I think Vice, should, I think he should throw good, back for a bit. But... but not as bad as I think that's right. I think that's I where I land on bad. it too. I haven't rewatched it since I saw it in theaters, but I that's kind of where I land on that movie is I did not like I did not like it, but I think that if I watched it again, I would not be as harsh on it as I was the first time. Well, I'm glad cool. you feel that way, and uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna fuck yes, please <laughs> on to number six. Uh, if I hadn't made this decision, then this movie would not be in the top ten at all because I really thought to myself, do I include documentaries mm-hmm. in my top mm-hmm. ten list? Because I would say on some like on some days, documentaries are my favorite genre. Interesting. Okay, I love documentaries. Uh, I've never made one like for real. I've made, you know, little documentaries before, but I've never like said like, I'm going to make a documentary about this, but it's something that I, you know, am interested in. And I decided I was going to, because I don't think I could have made this list without the inclusion of this movie and the movie that's going to come up in a Mm. couple spots. Um, but my number six is quite possibly the best documentary ever made. And that's OJ made in America. Incredible. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Go off chef. (laughs) I think that go off chef. I think that documentary at its behemoth runtime is also insanely rewatchable. Yeah. Oh yeah. I am so interested in the, all the characters. Uh, There is some serious theater and drama going on in that story. And it's presented in such a compelling sad, sophisticated, complex, 
emotional way that you can't help but be invested. And I really do wish that I could have been alive to see it all unfold in person like our parents were. Because I have a feeling it would definitely give the documentary even more of a special place in my heart. But not having been alive and having that really be my understanding of the media circus, 24-7 news cycles, race in America, race in Los Angeles, professional sports, celebrity. It really kind of does tackle America in just an absolutely devastatingly complex and sophisticated way, and I think that's why. Uh, You took the words right out of my mouth. I love it. Moving on. (laughs) Thank you, Chef. Uh, At number five, we've already talked about it, but uh, Uncut Gems makes my number five. Gems, 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 gems. Number four. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and I just only thing I'll say about number uh, the gems that I didn't really say uh, about it during the top of the 2019 list, but uh, it is the same box that Altman falls under for me. Great, uh, I actually Love see the that. Safdies yeah. as as a like intermediary between Scorsese and Altman in yeah. a lot of ways, um, because Altman, at least what I've seen, and I've seen actually a decent amount of his the stuff. There's some big ones I haven't seen, but. He is not afraid and actually kind of revels in the idea and posits that all people are inherently yes. selfish, but that doesn't necessarily make them Exactly, yeah. That, I mean, and a, the other thing about, uh, I think that's a great read on both Altman and this movie and the Safties, and I think that you're absolutely right that they are kind of like the, if you're going to have Altman and Scorsese, the kind of middle of that Venn diagram, the Safties would be in there. Um, and I also think that I didn't realize until this movie came out that people were not used to watching movies like people like you were and I were, where they got really annoyed by the yeah. overlapping dialogue. And I'm like, that's just like kind of a normal movie thing. Like people talk over movies and talk over each other movies all the time. You know, like you ain't seen Nashville. Oh wait, you ain't seen Nashville. We're going to sit down and watch Nashville. You ain't seen Nashville. <laughs> you dumb as shit. Dickhead. I, <laughs> you fucking dumbass. All right. What's, what's your but number four? I, it, it, for me, it, it just sort of, it, it splits that intermediary. Um, uh, of Scorsese and Altman in such an interesting way. Um, and the way that, you know, we've talked about it to death, so I don't want to keep talking about it, but it's my number five of the decade. Uh, the, the only other documentary to make my list at number four uh, is 2018's Minding mm-hmm. the Gap, which you, did you say you I knew don't Bing? know. So is I don't know Bing that? personally, but he did go to Columbia. I want my college, Columbia College, Chicago, I think at the same time that I did. I just knowing how old we both are, we must have been uh, at that school at the same time. But he is a Columbia College Chicago alumni, and it's uh, that's kind of a point of pride for me, honestly. And me and my school is that uh, my buddy Noah really likes his movie. It's phenomenal. I, yeah, I mean, to talk about the two docs that I have on this list, uh, it really is sort of the other side of the documentary coin. With OJ Made in America, you have this sweeping, grand, <coughs> excuse me, epic about America and celebrity and race, and it sort of runs the gamut on everything that you could potentially talk about regarding those subjects. But with Minding the Gap, <coughs> excuse me, uh, you just get some pure yeah. empathy. And he's, I don't even know if he's necessarily aware of at least when he's starting what he's even really ad- adventuring into because he was filming things as far back as like when he was like 12 or 13 years old, when he was like really hanging out with those, uh, with his friends and to put himself in the film and to see the deterioration sort of, of mm-hmm. youth 
as well as just these kids coming into their own in a each in their own very harsh, stark mm. ways really just took my breath away. I made the mistake of watching it pretty late at night. Like I think I started it around like midnight. Oh no, because I couldn't. <laughs> I know, and because I couldn't figure out how people were watching it, and then I realized, oh, it's on Hulu. And so I had Hulu, and I went in there, and I'm like, fuck, I think I'm going to do it. And it is uh, at a – what is the runtime on this guy? Oh, it's only at 93 minutes, but I'm up until, you know, one thirty, and I'm so moved by it, I barely slept <laughs> that night. Like, I was just thinking about that movie, you know, in my dreams, like, quite literally. And it was just – couldn't believe it. I was so proud of everyone involved, and uh, it really did make me feel like, fuck, I think I need to check up on these people. Like, it was just empathetic filmmaking to – a insane degree and i just love it. it all right uh i gotta i gotta catch up with that one honestly at, at this point like just, there's kind of no excuse i believe it's, it's in naperville which is a town not very far from where i grew up i think rockford, oh, rockford? never still yeah i think is rockford is like the main like hub of gotcha i mean it's still a chicago like sh- suburb or exurb so it, it is my wheelhouse and i gotta get around to it and also just uh the fact that it is about a friendships disintegrating i think that that's uh interesting topic i like to see movies like that number three what do you got you are going to just disagree and my number three film of the decade is alejandro gonzalez i Oscar. disagree <laughs> uh and i know you disagree uh but for me this is a movie that right place right time that's uh, fair. Can't I can't argue with this that. Movie, this, movie, this movie came out in 2014. I was a senior in high school. Uh, I was involved in uh, the theater department very heavily, but I was trying to exit that world uh, for a multitude of different reasons. Because you're going to be a bird man. You're going to turn into a bird man. <laughs> because I was going to be a bird man, and I was going to get wings in a fucking dumbass movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, I was involved in the theater department. Very heavily. We were mounting a show. It was the first ever fully student-produced show on the main stage at our theater department. Um, And I was one of the guys sort of in charge. Uh, And it was a very bad situation. Uh, It was a co-directing situation, and I really didn't stand up for myself very much. And I literally went to go see. This movie came out in Beaverton, Oregon, uh, like during the run of the show. Mm -hmm. And obviously as the director, you know, you basically get to decide, do I want to go see the show tonight or do I not want to go see the show tonight when you're, you know, theater or whatever. Um, And I decided, no, I'm not going to go see the show. Uh, I'm going to go see Birdman instead. And it was, uh, it was overwhelming. So overwhelming, in fact, that I went to go see it later that week again uh, because I needed a second viewing to sort of, sort of understand what I was really watching. And for me, it really became about how, how do you like forgive Uh yourself when you've done things that you're not necessarily super proud of. And obviously the things that I was thinking about are different than the things that Riggin was feeling and thinking about, but that was the thing I latched onto the most. And uh, at the time I was definitely thinking about art in a very different way than I do now. Uh, I've seen the movie six times since it's come out. It's a movie I've seen probably the most uh, of a film of the deck, like of this decade. And for me, you know, upon rewatches, I do get a little bit burned out by it. But because of my history with it and how much it meant to me at the time, I had to throw it in there for my top of the decade. It just wouldn't, I don't think, be fair if I didn't. Uh, I haven't seen it in a number of years. I don't think I've seen it in about four uh-huh. or five years. Um, oh, no, I saw it. I think the last time I saw it was late 2015, early okay. 2016. So it's probably been about four years since I've seen it. It's probably time to give it another rewatch and see where I'm Here's at my question. Now. Um, do you think it's do you think it's yes, show yes. material? Do you think we should talk about it on the show? 
I think it would be a very interesting thing to talk about. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the answer is yes. But do you have anything? I know that you're not a fan. But I, do you want to move I mean, on to my thing two? is I'm not a fan. I also haven't seen it since since this. I saw it once. I saw it alone on my birthday. And I remember walking out and being kind of swept up with it and liking it. And then seeing it again uh, right before I started my second semester of college. I want to say that would have been my ju- my sophomore or junior year of college. I don't remember. I think 2015. Uh, and just really not liking it a lot the second time and i think that yeah uh it's kind of a meme to not like this movie i think at some point um and i definitely think that i'm letting my kind of uh my the nastiness of my personality around that time kind of overtake what i might actually think about it so i am curious to rewatch it just to see what i either it grabs onto me or doesn't or how i feel about it now with a couple years behind of that movie uh behind me just to i'm just i'm just curious about it again i don't think i'd be as militantly disliking it as much but uh it's just uh i it was not not a movie for me uh number two <laughs> it's definitely it's definitely worth a rediscovery i think for both i think so too uh number two number two big fucking surprise uh david fincher's the social network bum, number two bum bum Ba-da-dum. bum bum <laughs> oh, bum <laughs> Dude, you're being a freak of freak of. Right oh, I'm being I'm being Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. Do you not like my Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross impression? Here's my impression of Trent Reznor and Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. <laughs> okay, so uh, we talked about a movie that is uh, also on this on this mountain, but uh, I actually think in a lot of ways, uh, The Social Network and uh, Parasite are very similar mm-hmm. as far as how they're crafted. I think that they are just movies that don't bullshit. They get right mm-hmm. to the point. You're in it. You can, I think parasite will prove to be this way. It's kind of a movie that after you see it once, you can come in at any point and enjoy it. That's how I feel about the social mm-hmm. network as well. Um, and I think that it is just endlessly entertaining and I think that the more you watch it and the more Facebook evolves, because that is the crazy thing, is that this movie came out in 2010 yeah. when we really weren't the online, quote unquote, in the same way that we are by the end yeah. of the decade. And it is kind of a scathing condemnation of Zuckerberg in a lot of ways, but it also does point out, hey, this guy did kind of change the internet for better or for worse. Definitely. It's yeah. a very interesting portrait of a man that we know only more about now, and it might be one of the best uses of a Beatles song in a movie. Um, I think it's, you are absolutely on the money. There's a Fincher movie on my list and I actually changed the Fincher movie on my list just now as you were talking because I had Social Network on there for a Whoa. long time. Um, because kind of similar to you with Birdman, it was like a right place, right time thing. I remember and also I think similar to The Souvenir, it was the right place, right time thing. I was so hyped for that movie and I saw it and it was one of those movie-going experiences where you just kind of forget that you're a... Uh, you, like, kind of transcend in a way. That you forget that you're a human being in a flesh prison and you're just kind of in the movie. Because once that... When oh that goodness. Beatles song came on in the end, and then it's just that last... That last, I think, perfect image of just... He is the youngest billionaire and just how miserable Mark Zuckerberg looks waiting for Erica Albright to accept him. On his, his website, website that, that he, he made, and then it's just 
cut to cut to credits baby or rich man baby or rich man and the lights come up i'm just like oh my god like i saw it with this uh i was it was 2010 so i would have been like probably 16 or 16 when saw it and i just remember walking out of the movie and just only being able to say oh my god oh my god oh my god um yeah just really tremendous um i love a lot of fincher's work i love every movie that he's done this decade um, the kind of, for me personally, the kind of sorkinness of it gets in the way of me, of me really falling for it and making it an essential Fincher for me at this point. But I just, you kind of okay. just can't deny just that it is like kind of crafts, like a, a, just craftsmanship at its highest level. Um, and it's, can I poke at that comment about the sorkinness? Do. do you think that? It's defined. No, by but that's what no, as much it is. It is defined. No, by no, no, and that's the thing that I like. That's the thing that I battle with myself about it a lot, definitely over and over again. Um, is that I think Fincher is the absolute right guy to direct Aaron Sorkin because David Fincher has such a a a, uh, a, a like kind of a surgeon's knife and like um understanding and just like really loves to get in and cut things down to their bare essentials. Like he's a minimal like for as much as he like shoots he only shoots so that he could have as many um options as possible to get things down right to their essentials um and i think that that serves aaron sorkin's um his writing um only in a positive way i do think it is tipped slightly more as a fincher movie than a sorkin movie but those scales are like basically like even honestly um it's the meeting of the minds in a yeah. lot of ways. And regardless what you think of Sorkin, I think that this movie more than any other Sorkin movie made people go, I want to write like that. And I want to, I think, so. I think you're absolutely right. And I think that that's, uh, I think you're absolutely right about that. All right. So what's your number one chef? My number one chef <laughs> of the decade, uh, is chef Boyardee. Um, but no, my number one movie of the decade is, it's so hard for me to even talk about, uh, just because it's just unbelievably raw and unbelievably empathetic, and that's very uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just, just the best. It's just you, the best. It's just yeah, so good. I here's what here's what I will here's what I will say because I are we gonna talk oh, about absolutely. it on your list as well? Okay, so we'll talk about it more when we get there as well. But uh, first time I saw the movie, thought it was good, but I didn't love it. And it was because I had heard how hyped everyone was on it. They were saying, Masterpiece, one of the best movies of the decade. You know, watch out for this guy, Barry Jenkins, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, well, I got to see this movie then. Saw it in, like, middle of the day. Wasn't, like, blown away by it, but Uh I did enjoy it. And I wrote that, and I, like, on Letterboxd, I was like, I don't understand why people are saying this is a masterpiece. Uh, It's good. I don't get it, though. Like, why is this so beloved and already... And I shit you not, dude, that every single day that passed after that, basically up until the Oscars of that year, I thought about that movie every single day of my Mm. life. And I still do, to a certain respect, think about that movie every single day. Uh, Because not being black and not being gay, you know, that's the character on the broad stroke level. And yet I feel like that guy... I could relate to that guy unbelievably more than like 99.9% of characters I've seen on screen. I could not believe the level of craft, both on how that world is presented and the level of empathy, both from the script and the direction that just 
made me feel like I've lived that mm-hmm. life and that I wanted to like reach out and help that person and just be like, I am here for you. Like it just touched me in ways that very few movies have. Uh, and I will try and watch it at least once a year, but I also try and watch it only once yeah. a year because it's so emotionally raw and such a special movie that it's like, okay, I'm going to watch, Mo- this is the day I'm going to watch Moonlight and I'm going to be a fucking mess. And it's I will definitely talk about it later, but I just want to say that you are right on the money with that. I think that that is, um, I think that, uh, well, that's a great top 10 list and we're, we're, we can talk about Moonlight when I get around to it. Um, yes, chef, but that's yeah. my top 10 plus the addition of the short, but, uh, Mason, you yeah, so mine, uh, I didn't want to rank my movies. I kind of wanted to do one or two from each year that I felt really stood out to me and kind of encapsulated what, uh, like just kind of, I, I wanted to do kind of like a journey of film for the last decade, at least for me. Uh, and I did that by being, t- choosing one movie from each year. Um, that I think resonated and kind of spoke, uh, and kind of just like, um, I could chart like my kind of understanding of film, um, what I understand film meant to me. Um, and just also just stuff that like kind of was always, like you say a lot, knocking around in my head. Um, there are two movies on this list from 2012 and that's the only repeat year. Uh, but without any further ado, yeah, there's nothing from 2017, uh, which is interesting now that I'm looking at it. But anyways, here's, so here's, here's starting in 2010, my 2010 pick of the year was, uh, Abbas Kirstami's certified copy, which is, um, wow, a movie okay. that I haven't seen since I watched it in college in 2014. So I didn't watch this when it came out, but it's something that's like, even though I haven't seen it, I'm always thinking about it. I'm always replaying it. I'm always trying to figure out its meaning without actually sitting down and watching it again. <laughs> I don't know if it's because I, I don't know exactly sure. why. But that was a movie that I watched that I think came at um, just a, a really important time in my life where it's just that movie is just two people um, working out like and that movie also on top of it, working out what these people's relationship are to each other. Um, and it's such an interesting kind of like, uh, not necessarily a magic trick, but there is like a kind of trickiness and you can't really get your hands around it. And it always kind of, even up to the last minute, it it's so elusive. And I just love a movie that, that does that. And it's, it's that kind of, uh, the, the artfulness of that is something that I, that really resonates. And I just, it's, uh, maybe tonight I'll sit down and watch it again, but that's my 2010 pick. My 20, yeah. I think that. I think that the uh, I think what's interesting about Certified Copy is I watched that movie in college as well. I feel like Kurosawa's a great director to get into when you're yeah. in college uh, because he is foreign <laughs> and he is making movies that are very cerebrally mm-hmm. engaging, but also sneak up on you emotionally yes. as well. Yeah. Um, and my Kurosawa pick uh, of all time is Close Up. I just can't get enough of Close Up. And I'm not really, truly a big fan of Certified Copy, but it's because it left me angry, and I don't know if I'd watch it now, that A, I probably still would be angered by the end, but I don't know if that's necessarily makes it, quote-unquote, not a sure. good movie. And I don't, and I think, I think that it, that is not the case, because I think it's very well done, and it's so cryptic, uh, that it does demand rewatches. Am I going to sit down and rewatch it anytime soon? <laughs> Absolutely not. Uh, because it is a load of a film. Uh, but 
is a very interesting pick uh, to take with you to the decade, and I think that Kiristami is uh, sorely missed, whether we Definitely. realize it or so not. De- so my 2011 pick, and I just now, while we were recording, changed this. I just now made this change. Because uh, oh, my shit. 2011 pick, my Fincher for the decade, this might be controversial, this might be a hot take, or a cold one, wink wink, because it's the girl with the dragon tattoo. Oh, uh, a movie that I rewatched very recently, just out of curiosity, and was kind of. Um, I remember seeing it twice in theaters, and I remember, um, and I was hadn't seen it since theaters, um, and I wanted to rewatch it just to kind of be like, yeah, I haven't seen this movie in a long time. I wonder what's up with it, um, and. That is, like, along with The Social Network, is also a very prescient movie about how we um, uh, use technology and the internet. Um, Because I think it is quietly one of Fincher's um, best pieces of just kind of, like, craft. Um, Because that thing just fucking clips. Um, It's also just a really entertaining detective mystery. Um, and it's also about like doxing Nazis, which is a big part of being online yeah. nowadays. Um, yeah. <laughs> and there's also like the kind of, um, uh, there's a, you know, content warning for like the rape vengeance in that movie. And I think that that's yeah. the thing, um, about that movie in 2011 that I think is so, um, that it gets right on the money more than, um, uh, a lot of other kind of movies that are similar like this, uh, the uh, I think Rooney Mara's performance as Elizabeth Solander is kind of quietly one of the best genre performances of the decade. I don't think we give her enough credit for that. Um, I would agree yeah, and I well. think that the um, I also think that it's Trent Reznor and Chris Ross's score is great. I also think that it is uh, a movie about um, I don't know, you know what I'm not even going to try to rationalize it too much. It's just a fun fucking movie to watch. Really, at the end of the day. Why did you why did you switch it out though? So like, I had so Gone Girl minute. on there. And I also love Gone Girl. I think a Gone Girl is also an incredible piece of craft, but I wanted to give Girl with the Dragon Tattoo just a little bit of a bump because I think people see, miss it in and I missed it for a long time in between Social Network and Gone Girl, which are two like kind of tentpole ventures. Um for that reason, and I also just think that it might just be recency bias, but between the three Fincher movies that came out this decade, that would be the one that I would want to rewatch the most and want to bring with me on a desert island because it's it's so chilly. I also think that the, um, I also oh. think that it captures like a particular. Um, that's a movie that even if you're watching it, I think in the middle of summer will make you feel so cold, um, purposefully because it just takes place in the Swedish this total Swedish winter. Um, it's a movie. Of, did you read I the never books? finished the book. That's the other thing. Uh, I read the first hundred pages of the book and just could not crack it. But I, I uh, did you ever read them? Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just curious because I saw that movie in theaters with my mom. <laughs> oh I my always god! Ended up going to see crazy ass movies. What'd your mom, mom think of that? Movie? Whether they're like, uh, she was very sad that we saw it together. <laughs> um, but uh, we always end up going to see the craziest shit together. Whether it is this. Or do you remember the movie Money oh, Monster? Sh- I do remember Money Monster. <laughs> we saw that together. We also saw Last Black Man at San Francisco. Oh, okay. So we ru- we run the gambit of just crazy ass shit. It's never on purpose. It just sort of yeah. happens that way. 
Um, and I remember literally leaving that movie and being like, well, all the serotonin in my head is gone. <laughs> like, holy shit. Um, I think I was a little bit too young to if like fully appreciate what was going on. I do think I will rewatch it at some point uh, in the near future because it is a movie that I just remember being completely brutal in yeah. every respect. Um, but again, I was what? Freaking yeah. 13 probably when that movie came out. So uh, it's worth an adventure, and I'm just interested that because if I had to force rank them, I'm putting both Social Network and Gone Girl ahead. Sure, Girl sure. With the Dragon Tattoo. So I just think it's interesting that you've. I would it say up. also, and uh, this just came to me now. Uh, I think it's kind of Fincher Silence of the Lambs. Uh, <laughs> interesting. Whoa. So my 2012 pick, one of my two, my one first of sec, first of two 2012 picks, is uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. Um, there that's is, a movie baby. that I saw in theaters and was just so angry that I didn't understand it, that I thought it was a bad movie. And then I think, and even though I didn't like it, I remember going to like a Best Buy and seeing it on the shelf and being like, I, should, I guess I should buy this movie. It's important. And I didn't watch it yeah. again until I think Philip Seymour Hoffman died. And just kind of like the yeah. decade long journey of seeing this movie and understanding that. And I think we talked about this on the inherent vice episode, that this is a movie that you have to have a little bit of life behind you. At least I did have to have a little bit of life behind me before I realized it's kind of power and it's impact and what was so um, meaningful about it. Uh, yeah. It's enig- enigmatic. And yes, I think it purposely keeps you at a distance, but I think it does that because it is, getting close to this universal thing, this universal feeling of, uh, having an important person in your life that, uh, that is with you for as long as they're with you. And then just before you know it, they're just fucking gone. They're just gone and you have to move on with your life and you're going to take, um, and it's also just like, I, it, it probably made me feel really lonely and I was just uh, really resistant to feeling that kind of loneliness and that kind of sadness and maybe even that kind of empathy towards a character like Freddie Quell, who um, is a damaged uh, damaged person and is hard a hard person to love and understand. But when you put in the time to do it, you're just like, oh man, like you just... Yeah. I was probably scared of Freddie Quill at first, and then I didn't really pay too much attention to him just because I was so locked on to PSH. Um, but now it's just like the the triptych of Freddie Quell, Amy Adams, and Philip Seymour Hoffman, which is that poster. Um, maybe not a better kind of trio of performances this this decade. Uh, Amy Adams is perpetually underrated. Will and always, forever and always, uh, justice for Amy, it is honestly uh violence that she has not gotten one academy award at this point my second my second 2012 pick which is also kind of in the middle between 2012 and 2013 just based on what i saw but is uh noah bombach's francis ha uh movie i saw when i was in 20 i think on my birthday and i watched it when it was on netflix and I was uh, by myself having a lonely birthday and i watched this movie and i was like oh this is what my 20s are gonna be like uh I think I can, I think I'm ready for this. I think I'm up for it. And it, it's also just like such a, um, it's such a light movie. Uh, it's such a, um, it just always lifts my spirits whenever I think about it or whenever I sit down to watch it, which I usually watch it on or around my birthday. Uh, and the more, the older that I get and the farther away from, uh, closer to France. Yeah. Close and close. I'm more like, 
I'm starting to see, like, my relationship to Francis changes because my relationship to myself at that age changes too. Um, and I'm sure that's the thing that's going to happen the older I get and, like, if I ever have kids that are, you know, when I have kids and when they get closer to Francis's age. I think it's just a movie that I'm going to have with me for a very long time. I just have such an affection for Greta Gerwig and affection for, uh, for Francis Ha as a character and just kind of the short journey that she's on and um, what she learns. And I just, I, I love it so much. I was literally talking about this movie to my buddy yesterday. It is effectively Greta Gerwig's like coming yeah. out party yeah. in a lot of ways. She's like, I'm here. I'm a force of nature. And this in a lot of ways to me feels like her first yeah. film. Like I know it like, and I don't mean that like, this wasn't the first film she was ever in, but this feels like the first Greta Gerwig. Uh, I think I think that this is like an, such an interesting like kind of. I think you're right. I think that this is like at the peak of her. Uh, and I also haven't seen Mistress America, so I can't speak to that. But it kind of at the peak of her like um, indie phase, like when she's just kind of working with like Joe Swanberg and kind of just like this working indie actor, and right before she starts to, like kind of ascend into the stratosphere um, and become one of my favorite working directors currently and someone i'm very excited to see anytime that she's her work um such a i it's a, incredible i love it all right my next movie my so, <laughs> you're fucking skating right along, along. Here, uh this is a movie that i want to talk about on the show actually uh we're gonna have uh coming up here uh three movies two of which have been discussed on the show already but this was one i want to bring on the show at some point and that's uh uh andrew bajelski's computer chess um, watched it, uh, it was at the Music Box, uh, Chicago, uh, Music Box Theater in Chicago. I used to live a 15 minute walk from there and I would just go all the time. This is one of the first movies I saw there. And it just felt like this kind of beam from another dimension of what was possible to make a movie. Uh, this is the last movie I watched in the decade of 2019. I watched it, uh, on Amazon Prime where it is currently still streaming before I went to a New Year's Eve party. Just to see, like, because I hadn't seen it in a long time, and it really is, like, uh, it's aesthetically very weird. It's shot on a, uh, like, these old, like, kind of VHS cameras, and it takes place in a, um, at, like, a computer chess tournament. Um, it's, but there's just, like, such a verve and a, just a, a, a kinetic fun energy to it, um, that you kind of feel like you're watching, like, um, it, it, the phrase found footage comes to mind almost. You kind of feel like you're watching a found, sure. like some t- kind of found footage of this, like, um, and speaking of like the intersection of technology and humanity about like the moment where, um, humanity and technology almost began to overlap and kind of started to eat each other. Um, such just a fun movies, like 80 minutes. And I want to bring it on the show at some time. Uh, Yeah. Um, it was interesting that you uh, bring this up because our friend of the show and frequent guest Rocky Pajarito recommended this movie to me because he was trying to get me into Bujalski, who I've never seen a full movie of, but I did watch part of yeah. Computer Chess because he recommended it to me and I promptly <laughs> turned it off. <laughs> um, but I think it was not the right jumping off point for him. I think I need to either watch Funny Hot. I think you should start with Support the Girls, actually. actually. That's, such a, that's, a good, that's a good movie. I love Support the Girls. And I think that the, um, I think that it is definitely all the things you're saying. It definitely has a verve to it. Uh, it definitely has a unique perspective, and I think that it is definitely one that you won't mistake definitely. for a different film. Like it is definitely in idiosyncratic to the nth degree. And uh, yeah, 
can't wait to have you force me to watch that for the show. Oh, right. But let's move uh, on. Next movie. Uh, talked about a lot on the show. Don't think we need to get too... Actually, we talked about these next two a lot on the show, so I don't think we need to get too deep into them, but uh, 2014's pick is Inherent Vice. Paul Thomas Anderson's Inherent Vice. I got two of them on this... There two of them is. on this uh, list because it's again PTA is probably my favorite working filmmaker. You can't go wrong with him. I just love to see his movies. Uh, 2015's pick is Hong Sang Soo's Right Now, Wrong Then, um, which is also just a movie that uh, I kind of just feel in my whole being anytime I sit down and watch it. Just there's something about that the the uh, movie that that movie is peculiar alchemy. I just want to drink it up and just let it sit in my tummy. And uh, just wanted, I, I love it. I love it. I we, I talked about it for I think basically an hour nonstop in an episode. So just go back and listen to it if you need me to if you need anything else. But those are two right off the bat that I know Noah was not too keen on. But uh, I love them yeah. <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> but uh, two movies that I love yep. a lot. Uh, but the next one, 2016 choice is Moonlight. And you know I think. Yeah. Looking at this list now, I think I'm with you that if I had to choose just one, like, to rank them, my number one would probably be Moonlight. Um, sure. For a lot of the same reasons that you do, you said, you mentioned. And I think it's a movie that people recognize as a masterpiece, but it, there's just, it's just so miraculous, too. Like, It's more yeah, than that. In a way, it's more than a masterpiece. It's like a fucking work of, like, it's almost like a freaking piece of, like, like like yeah, holiness yeah, in a yeah. way like it is like a piece of social work and holiness and community building like more it, it transcends it's it's, film it's like you know ways. when it, this is a movie that i really wish roger ebert was around to see uh was alive to see uh yeah, no kidding because he has a great quote that i that i just pull out of my back pocket all the time which is that move films are empathy generating machines and i think that if there is one movie this decade that really if you were like me or no and you're not a gay black man that grew up in the eighties in Southern Florida, you understand humanity a little bit better after watching this movie. I think you understand other people. You, you, it's those, um, you understand the journey that, that people go through. Um, and it does it in a package. that's less than two hours too. Like, you know, like sometimes you get these, uh, like it's 111 minutes. I, yeah, I don't know if I said it was under hundred minutes or not, but it's like, it is, like, insane that it's actually a good movie, but it's not loud about it. It's just, like, kind of at the pitch of um, just life and just, like, how people live their life. And I, uh, God, I, some, just the, you were the last man that ever touched me just comes into my mind from time to time. And I just feel like, oh, my God, I'm so happy that I live in a universe where Moonlight's around, you know. I'm so happy I'm alive that Moonlight, so I could see Moonlight. And like you, it was a movie that I think I didn't um, fall in love with right away. I was like, I, I recognized it was like good, and I recognized that it was, uh, you know, important in a way or whatever. But its its power sneaks up on you, um, and it's it's really uh, lovely. And I think that it more. I think that we should be striving to make movies that are more like Moonlight. That's all I'm gonna say. One hundred, a hundred percent. It literally does like make you want to be yeah. a better person yeah. when you watch it. And that's kind of the highest compliment you can give a movie. Yeah. Like that. Uh, number. So my 20 number t- coming in, my, my last two picks number 20, number, number 2018, uh, uh, widows. That is my kind of like, it's the only, it's, it's the only other movie on the list. I haven't seen that. And I haven't seen computer chess, but I've seen, and you've seen the souvenir. I thought you hadn't seen the souvenir. 
Souvenir is my 2019. No, I've you seen, seen Souvenir? I've seen, I've seen the Souvenir. Oh, yes. buddy. Okay. So, anyways, Widows. Uh, Widows came out in 2018. I have seen it uh, half a dozen times since then. It is kind of like my comfort movie. Uh, I love it. I love the Widows. It's, it's just kind of... I you love, love the, the widows. widows. It is um for a lot of reasons I think it is a it's a great gangster movie from the perspective of kind of like uh the classic kind of I don't want to say femme fatale but always like you know in all these gangster movies like your asphalt jungles or whatever there's always the girlfriend that's left at the end when the uh when, excuse me when the um bad guys get their due and this movie starts where most of those movies end. And, um, is all about, like, uh, reclaiming power for yourself and what you do with that. Um, and I think that that is, it's a movie that is only going to increase, it's going to be a movie that I think people are going to look around in a couple of years and be like, oh, wait a minute, this is actually a masterpiece and we all slept on it. Like, an underrated movie. Yeah, it was not, it was not, uh, immediate, it wasn't, like, hailed there's a small contingent but a very loud contingent and i hold on to those people for dear life the ones that saw its genius for what it is right away because i think people it was kind of advertised more as like i think i think the advertising didn't do a good job of selling what this movie was um i think people just were not had we haven't seen like kind of a gangster movie like this or our ideas of a gangster movie is something closer to uh like a scorsese or the or 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 uh the godfather or something very masculine um, genres and it's it's what it is or like a crime movie even and what this movie uh kind of interrogates is i think um how wealth is distributed in society and how you just kind of have to uh like the distribution of wealth and how who is holding on to it now at this time and what you need to do for the rest of everybody else um how they have to uh take it back for themselves and that's kind of the only thing you can do is you get all you have to do is just band together and just take it. Uh, it's just a great movie that I think is going to really just uh, increase in profile over time. And I, I'm looking at the poster and I'm like, I want to watch this again tonight too. And then my 2019 uh, favorite is the souvenir because it's just uh, a nice little way, I think to end that decade kind of bookend it with the movies, movies about relationships. Uh, I think the souvenir is definitely um that would probably be my number two right behind Moonlight, just in terms of, like, when I get around to making movies, I really want them to be... The souvenir is going to be something that it's just a it's bolt of lightning uh, really resonated with me, has not left is not left my side at all, and I just kind of want to... Uh, I always want to have it with me. So that's my, that's my rationale for it. If you want to hear me is. go off more about the souvenir... Rewind or listen to the last <laughs> rewind a little bit, uh, and hear me talk about it. But I, I just, I love that movie, and that's that's it. That's my decade. That's my de- that's my decade. That's it. That's it. It's it's interesting because you posit your end of decade as these are the movies I would take with me as if we're losing all the other movies that yeah are these movies. Um, and I just think that that's an interesting way uh, to think about it, but. Uh, not good, not bad, just uh, just an interesting yeah. way to think about it and definitely one that makes you think, man, what would I want to take with me? And I think that that is just an interesting idea of what am I going to take with me as opposed to, oh, I can go look at that anytime I want because the way the world we live in, a lot of things we can just go <laughs> and look at yeah. that right now, you know? So, um, well, dude, we've basically recorded yeah. for three hours. <laughs> um, I'm exhausted. I'm fucking tired. I'm hungry. Me too. Um, 
I guess. Do you want to fucking plug uh, anything? I don't want to. I think we talked. We plugged a lot of good stuff. I just want to say, listen to my other podcast, The Bar and a Podcast about the Shield. Follow me on Letterboxd. Follow me on Instagram at Hot Dog to Vicky, which is a widow's reference. Uh, God, if there's anything Whoa. else, I'll put it in the show notes. I'm just so tired. I can't think of anything. What do you got, buddy? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Moa Narger. Uh, you can follow me on Letterboxd at Moa Narger. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Noah.Marger, dot spelled D-O-T. And you can follow at YLG.World, dot as being a period, not uh, the word dot spelled out like in mine. Uh, me and my friend Fed Busiglio, who is, that is a person we want Let's to have on the show. Let's get Fed on the show. Um, on the show. So uh, that's what all I got. I think we're done. Uh, Mason, uh, let's stop recording. and Let's talk. Oh, boy. You know what? I just want to say, are you still recording, Noah? And three, two, one. Okay, so Noah's back, actually, because I, I, I was going to throw this on. I'm going to say this now, so it's on the record, and I have to do this. It's on the list. We'll have a social media presence by the time this episode comes up. Be it on Instagram and Facebook, one or both of those, maybe even on Twitter. But we want to interact with you folks. We want to hang out with you. You, We want you guys to know what we're talking about each week. So just, I'll put it in the show notes when that's available. And uh, be on the lookout. We love you. Thanks for listening. That's all I wanted to say. Noah, do you have anything to say about that? <laughs> Goddamn. Okay, well, uh, Noah's not recording, actually. So uh, see you soon. Bye, guys.